It is time for the sixth and final edition of the Locked On NBA season preview extravaganza. Here are Locked On NBA with the local experts of each of the teams, breaking them down, plus our other special guests. Today, it's the Magic, the Hornets, the Heat, the Wizards, and the Hawks in the Southeast Division for you. Locked on NBA returns Monday to its regular form. Josh Lloyd with the local experts on the biggest stories. And then Tuesday through Friday, you get a collection of guests or hosts. Tuesday, you get Wes Goldberg from the Warriors and David Ramil from the Heat. Wednesdays, John Corrales of the Celtics, Jake Madison of the Pelicans. Thursdays, I'll be joined by Ben Golliver of the Washington Post. I'm David Locke. And on Friday, we'll get you Adam Modest of the Nuggets and Anthony Irwin of the Lakers. Locked on NBA is your daily 30-minute podcast on the night before his events and what's coming ahead. It's your short-form, bite-sized, give me 30 minutes, we'll give you the NBA. Plus, the brand-new Hollinger and Duncan show is out for you and incredible. John Hollinger's seven years as the executive of the Memphis Grizzlies, plus his incredible analytic background, plus Nate Duncan. And Rejecting the Screen is here for you, and you'll hear them throughout this show as well with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko on tomorrow's headline. So let's get it going. The Southeast Division, our sixth and final one. It is opening week of the NBA. We're so excited here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, and you can go back to any of the last six episodes and get the final uh, breakdown of all the teams. So let's get it going. We'll start in order of finish last year. We'll start with the Magic and Philip Rossman Reich. This is Philip Rossman Reich of the Locked On Magic Podcast here to take you through what to expect from the Orlando Magic this season. Of course, the Orlando Magic last year returning to the playoffs the first time in seven years. It was great to be back for this team and this organization. And all of a sudden, there is a ton of optimism about this team. And the biggest storyline entering this season is whether the Orlando Magic can get back to the playoffs and maybe do a little bit more. Undoubtedly, the Orlando Magic were one of the surprise teams from last year, and they experienced a lot of rare health. Uh, six, Their top six players all played 76 games or more. But this Magic team wants to get back using very much the same formula. Formula of Nikola Vucevic and Terrence Ross and Aaron Gordon and all those players kind of taking their next step and getting to the next level. So the big question for the Orlando Magic is, can they get back to the playoffs? And the secondary question is, can Nikola Vucevic repeat as an all-star, or is there another all-star somewhere on the roster? Because obviously, star players are what gets you to the NBA playoffs, and that's a big, big question. Kind of like last year, what needs to happen for the best-case scenario to occur is Orlando needs to see continued development from their young players. Uh, A lot of people have had high hopes on Aaron Gordon taking a step. I thought he was going to take the leap last year. It ended up being Nikola Vucevic becoming an all-star at 28 years old. And while I think Vucevic is solid and consistent and will continue to produce at a very high level, I think it's more likely that Aaron Gordon is the one taking the step, especially if the Magic want want to compete for home court advantage and do a little bit more. Seeing the Orlando Magic begin to transition a little bit away from some of those more veteran players to some of their younger players, like Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, will bode much better for the Magic, uh, Magic and their future. A lot of people want to say that the Magic made the playoffs last year as sort of a flash in the pan, that they were a team that had kind of peaked because they had a lot of older players or, or young players just entering their prime. And what they did last year after six years being out of the playoffs with very similar rosters Last year was the peak. Orlando trying to prove that it's that they're not at their peak, that they are ready to take a next step, means that new blood has to take over. So that means that Aaron Gordon, and personally, I think that means that Aaron Gordon is the one that takes a leap and becomes a true leader on the team. That doesn't mean that Nikola Vucevic doesn't go to the doesn't stay at the forefront for the team and isn't still a very important player. 
or that, you know, Evan Fournier doesn't return to his mean, but I feel like a big storyline, a big reason why the Magic can have the success they can have and potentially get home court advantage in the Eastern Conference, it will be because Aaron Gordon takes a step forward. The worst case scenario for this Magic team is that their lack of offense and their lack of shooting comes back to bite them. This has been the case in many of Steve Clifford's years with the Charlotte Hornets. The Orlando Magic have all the defensive tools to be a top 10 defense once again. Jonathan Isaac and Aaron Gordon are potential all-defensive team players. Maybe maybe not this year, but certainly down the road. Uh, Mo Bamba is a defensive force, and the Magic have a little bit of depth. But the one thing the Magic still lack is a go-to offensive player. They don't have a guy that they can give the ball to, and he can create a shot. Terrence Ross is a tough shot maker, but not a shot creator. Uh, Another thing that the Magic don't have is great three-point shooting. Although they were 11th in the league last year in three-point field goal percentage, teams do not respect their three-point shooters. Aaron Gordon is a good three-point shooter, but not someone defenses respect enough that that they're they're comfortable letting him shoot. Nikola Vucevic is a good three-point shooter for a center. Evan Fournier is coming off a down year as a three-point shooter. DJ Augustin shot 42%, but he's on the ball a lot as a point guard. But outside outside of those guys... Jonathan Isaac's a guy that teams are going to dare to shoot three-pointers. Uh, Wessa Wundu's a guy that teams are going to dare to shoot three-pointers. My, my, Michael Carter-Williams, and so on and so on. Orlando lacks a lot of great cre- ball creation to get into the paint off the dribble, as well as consistent three-point shooting. Stylistically, the Orlando Magic are going to try to be a little bit different on the offensive end especially. Last year, they were a, very much a half-court team trying to kind of trying to kind of break you down through pick and rolls. And, and I think in, in when the game slows down, that's how they're still going to play. Um, they'll try to dump the ball into the post to Aaron Gordon and Nikola Vucevic, perhaps. But really, they're still going to work on pick and rolls. What they want to change this year, though, is the pace at which they play. The big change that I expect to see from the Orlando Magic this year is I, I, will, I think we will see them try and use their defense more to create offensive opportunities, where they will try and run the ball a lot more. I would expect to see their pace tick up. When the Orlando Magic had their success going 22-9 to finish last season and make the playoffs. Their pace jumped by, I believe, four four possessions per 48 minutes um, and jumped even more when Michael Carter-Williams was on the floor. Markel Fultz, a young point guard, which I'm sure we will talk about here um, in in a little bit, uh, and and I'm probably going to talk about him next, actually. Uh, Markel Fultz is a guy that wants to get the ball up the court very, very quickly, and I think that's something that the Magic really want to see see in him, and I think they want to see this team begin to play at a faster pace and pick up more fast break points. Surprisingly, Orlando in the bottom five last year in fast break points, they had a very conservative defensive and offensive mindset. Now that they've got those defensive principles down, now that they are very comfortable within the system, I think that they will look to push the pace. A player that will be thought of differently by the end of the season, I've already, I think there are several players that could fit that bill. I think Aaron Gordon can take the leap to become an all-star. I think we could, we'll begin to see Jonathan Isaac stake a claim to a spot in the, on one of the all-defensive teams for the next five or six years because his defense is very, very good for a 22-year-old. But obviously the big story uh, is Markel Fultz. Markel Fultz has been out of commission pretty much since November of last year. It's been highly publicized. Sixers fans are still, still climbing into my t- Twitter and telling me, how terrible he is and how much he stole from the Sixers, which isn't true at all. Marco Fultz had a serious injury last year that sapped his ability to shoot jumpers. Plain and simple, it affected his shoulder. It was a nerve issue that just was that that made it impossible for him to play basketball at the level that he knows he can play basketball at. And really, in his words, took the game of basketball away from him. 
He is healthy now. He is back on the court. And while he isn't the explosive, dynamic first overall pick that he might have been you know, two years ago or might have been before this injury, he is still proving to be a useful player. And the Magic will hope to see that he is still a useful player. Regardless of anything else, and this takes the next question, whose career trajectory is impacted most by this season, either good or bad, Markel Fultz has to prove this year that he is at least an NBA player. No one in Orlando is expecting him to be number one pick over Markel Fultz. They want to see him be quality NBA role player Markel Fultz, and that's that's big. The Orlando Magic are hoping to get an impact from him. They're also hoping to get an impact from Mo Bamba, who missed uh, missed the last 30 games of last year, played only played about 50 games last season. Bamba came, Magic don't have any rookies, so essentially their two rookies are Bamba and Fultz. Bamba last year was just skinny, not really physically ready to play in the NBA, and it showed. He he had to kind of understand the league and learn how to kind of, you know, frankly, be a man in, in a man's league. He's put on a ton of muscle during the offseason. It'll be interesting to see how he reacts. The Magic are still going to bring him off the bench behind Nikola Vucevic. They still have a really high-quality backup in Ken Birch. So Bamba's still going to have to fight for minutes. He will get those backup minutes for now. But he's got to prove that he is ready to take that step. My guess for the Orlando Magic is they will be slightly improved over next year. I'm a little more modest on my predictions. I think they'll end up in the 44, 45, 46 win range. I think that they'll compete a little bit for home court advantage, but likely fade into that six, maybe stay at the seven seed, maybe compete for the fifth seed as well. I think they'll be comfortably in the playoffs, but not ready to quite make that leap to compete for home court advantage as they want. My big predictions for this season, though, I think Aaron Gordon is the team's leading scorer and is the candidate to be an NBA All-Star. I'm not saying he is going to be an NBA All-Star. I'm saying he will be a candidate to be an NBA All-Star. And I think the other thing that we will see is we will see Jonathan Isaac get votes for the all-defensive team. Keep an eye on him. He's going to be guarding some of the best players in the NBA. That's going to do it for me, though. I, w- I want to thank you all. I hope you all t- give us a listen at Locked On Magic. For Locked On Magic, this has been Philip Rossenreich. I'll send it back to you, David. The Magic have a chance to be the best defensive team in the NBA, and I think that's the untalked about part of the Eastern Conference. Somebody in the East is going to be the number one defensive team. We're projecting it through Kevin Pelton as Miami. That vaults them up the Eastern Conference standings. We'll talk about them here in a little bit. Or it could be Orlando, who projects out in Kevin Pelton's system to the third best defensive team, and that's really going to drive the surprise team in the Eastern Conference. However... The points gained offensive system still has the Magic's offense as 25th in the NBA. So somebody in this group has to break out and have a big-time season for them to hit the levels that Steve Clifford wants them to because we're still projecting them as the 25th-ranked offense, third-ranked defense, and the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. Let's find out what tomorrow's headlines are. Here's Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko, followed by Josh Lloyd with the Fantasy Report. Here's what's coming for the Orlando Magic, and I had to make my picks for SiriusXM NBA Radio with the predictions for year-end awards and most improved player. I picked Aaron Gordon of the Orlando Magic. He's their he's their key defensively and offensively. Been working on his shot, can knock down a three, and can create, and that is what Orlando desperately needs. Most improved, I think, is. So difficult ever to gauge, figure out. I think the criteria for most improved is one of the most vague out there. But Aaron Gordon's going to 
the way Steve Clifford spoke about Aaron Gordon after every single game last year as look, our defense hinges on Aaron Gordon. He's always out there guarding the best player. I think Aaron Gordon's going to receive um, all defensive teams consideration. And I've got him down as Aaron Gordon, most improved player. There's your headline for the Orlando magic. I'm right in line with you. My headline was magic go as Aaron Gordon goes. And I'm just going based on past history. Last year, Gordon in the Magic's wins shot nearly 48% from the field, 42% from three, and 78% from the line. And their losses, 42% from the field, 28% from three, and 69% from the line. Mm. Aaron Gordon's ability to take that next step that step closer to becoming a superstar is is what the Magic's future hinges on. He knows it. The organization knows it. And uh, now it's put up or shut up time. Nikola Vucevic was one of the surprises for fantasy basketball last season. A top 20 guy really stepped it up, made his first All-Star game. I think we should be a little bit cautious about expecting Vucevic to repeat those numbers. He's still going to be a strong option with good percentages, hits and threes, rebounds and points, all that stuff. But at that same level as last year, I don't think we can rely on that. The big riser for the Magic is likely going to be Jonathan Isaac, who's looked great in preseason. Big steal numbers. Big block numbers. He looks more aggressive offensively. He's passing the ball more. If he finished as a top 50 player, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't draft him there. But in that 65 to 75 type range, maybe even at number 60, he is fine. I'm not worried about Al Farouk Aminu taking his minutes. Isaac's going to play and he's going to do what he does. Aaron Gordon in that similar sort of range as well. I'm just not really sure what area Gordon gets better in from where he was last season. And that keeps him in that 60 to 75 type range. Another player who's been really strong, at least in one preseason game, was Muhammad Bamba. Um, oh, sorry, in two games. In the third one, he struggled a little bit there. This the, the problem with Bumba is he looked good, but where is he going to get the minutes? I see him more as like you just need to take a flyer guy to get a couple of blocks per game late in the draft, but getting upside from Bumba, especially when uh, Steve Clifford has said they'll look to play Jonathan Isaac a little bit at center as well to get Aminu, Gordon, and Isaac all on the floor together. That limits what Bumba can do. He's not taking mo- uh, big minutes away from Vucevic, so he's probably more going to be a guy to look at on the wire. And the other big name, Markel Fultz made his uh, Magic debut in preseason. Looks pretty solid. I think he will be a starter for this team at some point, probably in the new year rather than the start of the season. And he is okay to take a flyer at the end of a draft, but you could very easily be dropping him within a week or so. Whereas DJ Orson and Evan Fournier, just late round guys with pretty limited upside. The Magic are in the books. Time to proceed with the Hornets, the Heat, the Wizards, and the Hawks in order of last year's finish. Remember, Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at checkout. Well, the Hornets are not the same team that they were a year ago without Kemba Walker. Now it's Terry Rozier at the helm. Let's see what the local experts of Locked On Hornets have to say about their team. This is the 2019-2020 Charlotte Hornets season preview. I'm Doug Branson, joined by Walker Mail. Walker, take it away. Two or three biggest storylines to get into during the season. Uh, I think the first one I immediately think of is, what is life post-Kemba? That's 1A, and 1B is basically what is life during the Terry era. Scary Terry being the new point guard here after Kimball Walker was the best player in Charlotte Hornets franchise history. It was a situation that Kimball wanted to be here. Then Mitch Kupchak said to Rick Bennell and the Charlotte Observer that Kimba getting all NBA 
kind of threw them off guard. And so he goes to the Boston Celtics. Terry Rozier is going to take over in a sign and trade. And Terry Rozier, a different type of player, can he bring his game to another level the second storyline real quickly how much do the young guys improve this season you need to see miles bridges take a step up you want to see pj washington get real time and do a good job in his rookie year all of the young guys there's going to be plenty of youth out there on the basketball court how does that all gel how do they all improve so what needs to happen for the best case scenario for this basketball team and that's always an interesting question right when you have a team that doesn't want to admit they're rebuilding, but is actually rebuilding. Like what is they're a transitioning, best, Doug? That's right. They're transitioning. What does a best case scenario look like? For me, I think it looks like a team that has young players that are developing, but they still have odds at adding a a nice player in the draft. So, like for me, best case scenario for this team is not making the playoffs, but also not being the absolute worst team in the NBA. Because to me, that means that there has been some serious development issues or some serious coaching issues that have happened and and things are not translating during the transition. So what has to happen for best case scenario? I think you've got to see big improvements uh, from Miles Bridges, Dwayne Bacon, PJ Washington gets significant minutes at some point later on in the season. And uh, Coach JB is trying to instill a new defensive mindset. You want to see that happen as well if we're talking best case scenario. You go best case, I go worst case. I think that the worst case scenario means that, let's say, a Terry Rozier continues to shoot at the under 40% clip that he shot with the Boston Celtics and does not grow into a player that's even close to being worth $18 million because he's on contract for three more years. It means that Miles Bridges kind of has going with the Boston Celtics example, maybe a sophomore year that Jason Tatum had where a lot of people didn't see him take all that big of a jump. Maybe Miles Bridges goes through the same thing of a sophomore slump. Look, development is not linear. Does it mean that you're on an escalator that constantly goes up? But it certainly wouldn't be a good sign for this young team. Same thing with a Dwayne Bacon. Maybe he's inefficient. Maybe that was a mirage, what we saw at the end of last season. Maybe Malik Monk is someone that never steps up. It's basically all of these guys continue their bad habits from what we've seen the last couple of seasons or the or last year and that would be the worst case scenario doesn't matter about how many games they lose it's all about if they can develop sneaky worst case scenario miles bridges goes up for a dunk and never comes back to the ground will this team be stylistically different on either the offensive side or defensive side and how uh, yes, defensively, they are going to simplify things. Uh, Coach James Borrego talked about this on Media Day, that they tried to stop teams from shooting three-pointers and protect the paint, and things got a little too complicated for some of the young players. They're going to simplify things, and the focus really is on locking down the paint. A few numbers for you. Last season, 23rd in defensive rating, 16th in points in the paint allowed, and 22nd in three-pointers allowed. You know, Kimball Walker had a, a an all-NBA season, and they still didn't make the play playoffs defense a big part of that they're going to try to improve some of those numbers this season rapid fire keep on going player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season I think nationally it's Dwayne Bacon the most national love I ever saw from Dwayne Bacon was Zach Lowe mentioning him in a 10 things I like and don't like article where Dwayne Bacon was featured in the positives at the end of that season we saw the kind of growth that he had and Dwayne Bacon got a little bit of love in that article but I still don't think he's recognized nationally as someone that should be on any kind of radar as far as the young players I think he actually gets some love at the end of the season the Raider locally I think I, I think locally 
Malik Monk might, or PJ Washington is the answer. Malik Monk might be on a national scale as well, where I think people believe in Malik. And then if he does it again this year, people are like, okay, I'm finally out. I think locally, I think it's PJ. PJ Washington was not met with a, a, a whole lot of particular praise with that selection from Mitch Kupchak. Perhaps like Miles Bridges last season, a lot of people love Miles Bridges after maybe people thought that that was more of a boring selection. PJ Washington was viewed as redundant. I view it as redundant. P.J. Washington locally, I think, has the best chance to change the view of him. I think it's Malik Monk locally. You're going to start the season thinking of him as a Charlotte Hornet and end the season thinking of him as a member of some other team. A player whose career trajectory is most impacted this season, either good or bad, I'll keep this short, I think it's Terry Rozier. He's getting the opportunity that he's always wanted, starting big big minutes, big opportunity, lots of usage. We're either going to find out if Terry Rozier is a starting point guard in this league or he's not. Rookies who will have an impact and how much. I think, I don't know if this is much of a bold take, but they've talked a lot about Greensboro and utilizing that a little bit more. And PJ Washington has been thrown out there as far as going down to Greensboro. I think he doesn't even play more than five games in Greensboro. I think PJ Washington stays with the team the entire time. And a lot of people made a big deal about nothing for PJ. So are the young players going to get a lot more time? James Brego says yes on the regular season roster. And I think that includes PJ spending basically the entire season up with the real franchise and we wrap things up with our best guess on how this season ends i think we can both answer this very quickly for me i don't think the hornets will make the playoffs but i also don't think that they will be the worst team in the nba i think they're like an atlanta hawks last season where they're not dead last but they certainly aren't better they get better defensively they get worse offensively and and they drop to about 26 25 range in the nba That was our season preview for the 2019-2020 season. For more in-depth analysis on the Charlotte Hornets, catch us on Twitter at Locked on Hornets and subscribe to the Locked on Hornets podcast. I don't think I'm going to surprise you with what points gained in our projection system has to say about the Charlotte Hornets this year. 30th in offense, 25th in defense. The Charlotte Hornets, the Knicks, and the Cleveland Cavaliers will have a fierce battle for that 15th spot in the Eastern Conference. Let's find out what tomorrow's headlines will be with rejecting the screen. Noah Kozlov, Adam Stanko, you can get them. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Tuesdays, they'll talk kind of around the NBA. Thursdays, a long-form interview. They did Sam Mitchell last week. It was a great conversation, if you haven't heard that. Anyway, here are their headlines for the Charlotte Hornets. The Charlotte Hornets headline of tomorrow has more to do with the arena and a little bit about the team. The headline is Echo. Oh, oh. <laughs> Cause nobody's going to go to those games. So you're going to be able to be in that arena and just say anything you want. And it's going to reverberate off the walls. There was a story back in the day when Baron Davis played in Charlotte, when nobody was there that at one point he was dribbling the ball up the court. And his cousin was sitting in the stands and yelled down to the court while Baron was dribbling the ball to the floor. Yo, BD, I got to run. I'll catch you later. And B- and, and Baron said, all right, like, as, he's <laughs> dribbling the ball, as he's dribbling the ball up the floor. So I don't think that's going to happen this time because I don't think any family members are going to even want to go to these games. There's, you know, there's some good college players on this team, but I mean, Nicholas Batum's getting 25 mil this year and good Lord, Bismack Biombo is getting 17 Terry Rozier, of course, the 20. Cody Zeller, for crying out loud, is getting 14. Good seats still available. Could also be the headline, but I'm going to go with Echo. <laughs> Lack of Buzz City. How about that?
Yeah, I like that. that. Yeah. The, yeah. But but my headline for the future, and you you just sort of referred to it. Hornets struggling to find suitors for overpriced players. And you mentioned the biggies that are uh, on their books right now. Batum's got a $27 million player option next season. Think he's oh. going to exercise that? Oh. Um, oh Cody Zeller under contract for 15 mil next season. Now, Biombo's 17 mil comes off the books this summer. But as you mentioned, good college players on this team. Are they building around Miles Bridges, Malik Monk, and P.J. Washington? They're going to sort of have to. So I think what's going to happen with this team, if they were smart, and I think I think Mitch Kupchak is, I think they'll try to get rid of some of these spare parts that are way overpriced. They're going to have a really hard time finding someone to take those things on. So I think, really, if you're a Hornets fan, unfortunately, that echo is going to last for at least another couple, probably four or five more seasons. The Charlotte Hornets roster is a little bit of a disaster, but that doesn't mean there isn't fantasy value there. Terry Rozier is going to step into some big numbers this year. The field goal percentage might be a worry, but he rebounds well. He'll get steals. He'll get some assists. He'll score. He'll hit some threes. His free throw percentage is pretty good. So he's a guy in the mid-rounds that sometimes gets overlooked, especially if you're in a points league where he could be like a top 40, top 35 sort of a player. Miles Bridges, another guy who should be in those mid-round ranges. He's going to be starting. He's going to be playing 30-plus minutes. He gets defensive numbers. He hits three. He's a solid rebounder. I really like Miles Bridges for this season. Dwayne Bacon and Malik Monk, they'll be looking to get opportunities. Now, Bacon is a guy that takes a lot of shots. He does pretty much nothing else. That makes him just a late-round guy. If Monk could get himself together, he would be a really interesting fantasy target because he can pass. He can hit some threes. He can score a little bit, but they're just two late-round guys. Nick Batum, we worry that his minutes are going to be reduced significantly at some point this season. If he's in a 30-plus minute role, you'd expect his usage to go up and also his facilitation, his assist numbers as a late-round guy, but I wouldn't be expecting too much out of him. But the talk of the Hornets at the moment is PJ Washington. I think he's going to start some games at some point, whether that's at center uh, next to Miles Bridges ahead of Cody Zeller, or if they squeeze him to power forward and they push Bridges down to small forward, taking Batum out of the lineup. Washington is absolutely worthy of a late-round flow, and he's going to be in the rotation from day one, which, again, two weeks ago, I didn't think that was going to be the case. And he could very well be starting very soon. He's looked like he is the latest uh, Kentucky Calipari victim in that players who play for Kentucky do significantly less in college than what they do in the NBA. Josh Lloyd's Fantasy Basketball Show is the number one fantasy basketball show in the land. Make sure you're subscribing and following that one for you. Let's move now to the... Miami Heat. David Ramil is hosting the show solo because a free agent move in the offseason. Wes Goldberger hosts Locked On Heats, has moved to the Bay Area, and is now part of Locked On Warriors as he's also covering them for the San Jose Mercury and the Bay Area News Group. So congratulations to Wes, who you can catch every Tuesday on this feed on Locked On NBA. But let's get the local expert on the Miami Heat this year. This is David Ramil, host of Locked On Heat, giving you everything you need to know about Miami's upcoming season. The addition of Jimmy Butler changes everything for this team. While it might be realistic to say that he's not a vastly huge upgrade of talent over Josh Richardson, who was traded to Philadelphia in order to acquire Butler, the truth is that Richardson was never cut out for the leadership role he was expected to fill in Miami. That changes with Butler, who is a clear number one option on offense, a superior late-game performer, and an excellent defender. And that's the top storyline of the year for Miami, how everyone adjusts to playing alongside Butler. My feeling is that Butler's addition makes it easier for everyone to understand their place within the team's hierarchy, and that will lead to greater success. 
Additionally, I think the constant direction of the front office to upgrade the roster is something to watch for. Even after acquiring Butler, the team was reportedly interested in adding Russell Westbrook or Chris Paul, as well as the often rumored interest in Bradley Beal. I don't believe there's a realistic trade from either Paul or Beal, and Pat Riley has often publicly preached patience so they can make a splash in free agency. But Riley has always looked to acquire disgruntled players via trade, from Alonzo Mourning to Shaquille O'Neal and even Goran Dragic, so he's absolutely willing to pull off a trade if he thinks it raises a ceiling on the team. Even if a trade doesn't happen, this team should still be very good because of Butler's addition. They'll thrive as always on the defensive end and should finish with a top five defense this season. Justice Winslow is handling the point guard role full time and is poised to become a consistent playmaking threat. Bam Adebayo is ready to take his game to another level. Rookie Tyler Hero is a very capable shooter and is confident enough to make an impact. And they have quality role players in Dragic, Dion Waiters, Kelly Olynyk, and Myers Leonard to round out the rotation. With Butler energized and the undisputed leader of the locker room, he could easily put up a MVP-type campaign and push the team to a 49-win season, what could theoretically be the third or fourth best record in the Eastern Conference and good enough for home court advantage in the playoffs. They can get past the first round of the playoffs, and if a higher-seeded team is struggling with injuries, Miami could find an easier-than-expected path to the conference finals. But a lot has to break right, especially with a team that lacks established top-tier talent aside from Butler. If Winslow and Adebayo don't make the leap as expected, this isn't a much better team than the one that missed the playoffs twice out of the last three seasons. And Butler's off-the-court behavior has rubbed teammates the wrong way in every previous stop, and it could be a concern in Miami as well. If they don't win early, it could be a combustible situation that could turn ugly in a hurry. There won't be major changes stylistically for this team, other than Butler being the clear option in clutch situations. We saw what Winslow can do as a playmaker last season, and we'll just be getting a larger sample size to determine if he's a long-term fit at point guard, which I expect he will be. Defensively, the starting lineup will be big and switchable, and the reserve unit should have some nice scoring punch with Waiters, Dragic, and Hero as likely option. Miami used the zone defense more than any team last season, but head coach Eric Spolster has already said he'll only rely on it a little bit, and I would expect him to add some wrinkles to his system at some point. If there's a player likely to be thought of differently by the end of the season, it's Winslow. This summer showed that most national media types don't consider him a viable option to play point guard, despite him thriving in that position last season. Now that the job is his, he can prove to be a quality playmaker that has shown growth as a shooter and his defense remains elite. If he could be consistent from behind the arc, he could be a matchup nightmare for opponents. Butler can do a lot to change the perception of him as a malcontent, but the truth is that his style never is going to please everyone. So if there's one player whose career trajectory will be most impacted, I think it's Dion Waiters. He's healthy and capable for the first time in years, and he's poised to be an impactful player. If he comes off the bench, as Spolstra seems inclined to do, he can be a great six-man. Between his irrational confidence, inconsistent play, and nagging injuries, there aren't many long-time residents on Waiters Island, but he can redefine himself as a team-first player that can thrive in a new role. Tyler Hero is the rookie most likely to make an impact this season with his long-range shooting and solid playmaking skills. Even as a lottery pick, he probably won't be in the starting lineup, and he'll have to earn playing time by showing consistent improvement on defense. We've seen flashes from him in summer league and preseason, but it's way too early to say if he can do this consistently. KZ Okpala, Miami's second-round pick this past summer, probably will spend most of the year in the G League. Given the team's depth and Eric Spolster's proven record of maximizing any roster, I think the team is poised to overachieve and be a top-four team in the East. There are too many questions or injuries on other teams like Boston, Toronto, Indiana, Orlando, or Detroit. Spolster knows how to get the most of superstar talent, as he did for Dwayne Wade from 2008 through 2010, even with a lackluster supporting cast. And that's why I predict that just as Wade did during that stretch, I think Butler will play at an MVP level, finishing the top five among vote-getters. He's on a team built around him and playing for the best coach he's ever had. 
It's also why Pat Riley will go all in on improving the roster via midseason trade. While Butler is signed to a four-year deal, Riley can't afford to get complacent and waste Butler's peak. The early season will be to determine who on the roster is ready to be a solid role player or has the potential to break out. If they fall short, then Riley will do what he can to acquire a proven star. After all, Richardson had grown from a second-round pick to a great complimentary player, and that still wasn't enough to keep Riley from sending him elsewhere in exchange for Butler. So stay tuned to Locked on Heat for what should be a fun and eventful season. The Miami Heat always just have a huge give-a-darn factor, and that is why they project as the number one defensive team, Kevin Pelton's ESPN projections helpful here, in the NBA, still rank them as 21st offensively, Overall, have them as fifth in the Eastern Conference on our points gain system. Orlando or Miami, if either of them click in at all offensively, look for them to vault their way up the standings. I know that Zach Lowe has really kind of jumped on the Miami bandwagon. It's legit. If they're the number one defensive team, you'll move your way up. Let's find out what tomorrow's headlines are with Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov. I think the Miami Heat headline like the full on newspaper headline is as predictable as any headline as there is in the league this year. And it's hero ball. So the first big shot from Tyler hero, even though it looks like it's hero H E R R O it's hero. So that will be, that's going to be one because he's going to hit big shots. The other one though. And the one I'm more proud of is when Jimmy Butler gets worked or falls flat in a game or something goes wrong with Jimmy Butler and the rest of this team, the headline is wake up call because he's the one who's out there posting that he's getting to the gym at three 15 AM. Great pal. Great. Does this mean I'm going to think anything differently of you now that I know you're waking up at three 15 to get to the gym? No, but I could, I like that headline wake up call, but I know hero ball is coming. I thought you were going to say something like the Heat need a hero, not a butler. I thought that's where you were going with a creative oh. headline. Uh, my headline for the future, for similar reasons, Heat, serious threat in the East. Look, you brought up Tyler Hero. Obviously, you mentioned Jimmy Butler. Both of those guys bring scoring for sure, but they also bring confidence and a certain level of swagger, and that is huge you have Pat Riley still running the show. Eric Spolster is still running the show. Plus, Bam Adebayo is ready to take another leap forward. We saw his emergence at the end of the season last year. The more playing time he got, the better he performed. I think this Heat team is a serious threat in the Heat East, especially because we're seeing such a down year after you get past the first maybe five teams in the Eastern Conference. The Miami Heat now have Jimmy Butler and he becomes their number one option. He can push towards being a top 15 guy. Usage should go up from where he was in Philadelphia. Ball handling, it's all going to be going through him. He gets his steals. His free throws are elite. He is a strong second, maybe even late first round pick for fantasy. The point guard spot, Goran Dragic, I don't know if he's going to be the starter or if it's going to be Justice Winslow. Both of those guys are in that 100 to 130 type of range. Winslow has struggled with efficiency in the past. If he is a starting point guard, then that does boost his value up a little bit as well. 
Bam Adebayo, really, really like him. I think he can be a top 50 player this season. I'm not worried about Kelly Olenek or Myers Leonard really cutting into his minutes. He should be a 30-plus guy who contributes right across the board in a very similar way to Al Horford does. So that gives you that value that Bam Adebayo can produce. Olenek is more of a deeper league guy, your back-end 12-team league player. And I guess the talk of the heat at the moment is Tyler Hero. I think he is going to begin the season off the bench behind Dion Waiters. He's going to struggle to have the ball in his hands as much as he has in preseason with Butler, with Winslow, with Dragic around. So he's just not going to be touching it as much. He played well in the first preseason game. He struggled in the second one. And I think he's more going to be, you can take a flyer on him as a late round player, but I don't really see him as being a guy that's you know, locked in, 25 usage, 30 minutes a night for the Heat uh, on this team that wants to compete to get into the playoffs. But he will have a rotation role. Peloton is offering a limited time offer. Get $100 off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike. Get a great cardio workout at home. Get the one, Go to OnePeloton.com and use the promo code LOCKED to get started. That's OnePeloton.com, promo code LOCKED to get started. The Washington Wizards have to be happy. They got the Bradley Beal done, deal done. That might be the only thing they needed to get done this year. Let's find out from Locked On Wizards what they see as the storylines, the breakout players, and the rest this season in the NBA. Hey, guys. This is the Locked On Wizards season preview for the Locked On NBA podcast. Uh, I'm going to sit here and talk about uh, the, the, the Washington Wizards previewing their season. Um, the biggest storylines for the Wizards coming into this year are obviously Bradley Beal just signed his uh, contract extension. So any talk of the Wizards potentially trading uh, Bradley Beal throughout the course of this season probably seems to be null and void at this point. Um, I think another big storyline for the Wizards has to be the fact that um, they, they have uh, seven players who are 22 years of age or younger. And so this isn't the Wizards of the past where they were coming into the season where they had uh, a lot of expectations of making the conference finals. Um, uh, there, there are a lot of uh, pundits out here who think that the Wizards have one of the worst teams in the NBA. So it'll be very interesting to see how Bradley Beal is able to lead a young cast heading into the 2019-2020 season. The, the best case scenario for the Wizards would be if Bradley Beal uh, – Keeps continues to ascend as a, a potential All NBA player, and for him to actually make the All NBA team this year and, and lead the Wizards to uh, a, an eight seed in the uh, Eastern Conference. You know, I think there is a little bit of potential there for the Wizards to be like the uh, Brooklyn Nets from last season, where nobody was expecting them to contend in the Eastern Conference. But if you have a player of the caliber of Bradley Beal, um, it, it, it pretty much leads to. Uh, a situation where, you know, they can exceed expectations coming into the season. The worst case scenario for the Wizards would be if uh, the younger players never really develop uh, throughout the course of the season and Bradley Beal doesn't take that next step and become an all-NBA player. In that scenario, the Wizards probably could be one of the worst teams in the NBA. And, uh, uh, I mean, possibly they, they, they could be tanking towards the, the end of the season. And I know that the tank is a, is a word that people do not like to use in NBA circles. But, I mean, I, I've watched Wizards basketball over the last couple of years, and, and last year I can assure you that they were not trying to win basketball games. Stylistically, the team will be different. Uh, offensively, they'll be different because um, Thomas Bryant has emerged as the starting center, 
And last year, you know, he only played 20 minutes per game. But this year, I think that the two-man game between uh, Bradley Bill and Thomas Bryant will be prominently featured uh, within the Wizards' offense. So, you know, running, running pick and rolls, um, they, they, they will be featuring Thomas Bryant at the, at the high screen, at the, uh, at the top of the key, and kind of allowing him to, to run the offense through him throughout the course of the season. Uh, the player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season, I would say would be Troy Brown Jr. Uh, Troy Brown was the team's uh, first round draft pick from last year. He was a uh, 15th overall pick out of the university of Oregon. And honestly, the wizards didn't play him as much as they should have last season for a team that only won 32 games. They only played uh, Troy Brown uh, a total of 740 minutes last season. And that's honestly unacceptable, but I believe that Brown uh, will come into this season a lot stronger uh, than he did last year. And even though he has missed uh, the last few weeks of training camp because of a shin injury that he suffered uh, working out at the facility before training camp even began, I believe that he will come back healthy and he will show why he was a first-round draft pick last season. The player whose career trajectory I think will be impacted the most I think will be Rui Hashimura. Rui Hashimura is the team's uh, first-round draft pick, lottery pick, uh, the number nine overall pick in the uh, NBA draft. And I think that a lot of people came into the season thinking that Hashimura uh, would be was a, was a bit of a reach uh, for the Wizards to take at number nine. But from everything that I've seen from him uh, throughout training camp and preseason, I mean, Rui Hashimura looks like he's going to be a solid NBA player. Uh, another rookie who I believe will have a major impact on the team this year is Justin Robinson. So I believe Justin Robinson, he was the uh, the team's priority undrafted free agent signing. And he will he has an opportunity in front of him to play a lot of minutes at the backup point guard position with Isaiah Thomas being out. My best guess on how the season ends for the Wizards, I think that the Wizards will probably finish somewhere in between uh, what, what I said was the best case scenario and the worst case scenario. I think that they will finish uh, with 35 wins on the season, which is more wins than they had last season. But it far exceeds the expectations of Las Vegas predicting that the Wizards will only win uh, 26 and a half games. Thank you guys for listening to this. And if you want any other Wizards news, check out the Locked On Wizards podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Some tough headlines here for the Southeast Division, which frankly don't have teams that are moving the meter at kind of any major magnitude, but probably three or four teams that could surprise this year. Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko rejecting the screen with tomorrow's headlines. The headline for the Washington Wizards is going to be one that everybody who's watching their games this year on on television, they're going to be sitting on the couch, they're going to be watching the games, and they're going to say, Who? Anytime they hear anybody make a shot, like who, who is that? So that's the headline who, so it's a good thing. I think that Charles Barkley was in studio for the NCAA tournament, assuming that he watched like a few games here or there, because he might know he's, you're probably going to say, I heard of that guy. Yeah. I saw it. Yeah. I heard of that. I heard of Emil Schofield. Yeah. I heard of that guy. Now I don't think it's fair to have Scott Brooks's job on the line. He's got two years left at, at 14, 14 million total because really there's nobody on this team except for Bradley Beal and who knows how long Bradley Beal is going to be on this team. So that's the headline. 
Ooh. The Washington Wizards team is bereft of fantasy options outside of a couple of guys. Bradley Beal probably should be a first-round guy, probably a top-10 player. He led the NBA in minutes last season, played all 82 games. I'd be pretty surprised if that happened again, but he is still going to have some strong value. I don't think he's going to be traded, but I do think there is a worry with some of the minutes perhaps later on in the season. The bigger player that not everyone uh, will understand is a great fantasy asset is Thomas Bryant, who probably is going to be close to a top 50 player this year. There is no center depth in Washington at all. Jan Mahimi's injured at the moment. Mo Wagner's the other option, but Bryant's going to be getting 30 a night. Double doubles, blocks, threes, good efficiency numbers, a really elite or almost semi-elite type fantasy prospect for this season. The rookie, Rui Hachimura, I think it's going to be uh, slow going for him. Absolutely fine to take with a last pick, but his lack of defensive numbers, his lack of assists, his lack of three-point volume overall holds him back. But it does look like he's going to get those minutes over Davis Bertans, who probably should be considered more as a three-point streaming option now. On the wing... I don't know what they're going to do. Isaac Bonga started one game in the preseason. Justin Anderson. I guess it doesn't help that CJ Miles and Troy Brown are both out. Brown is probably the best out of that group to take a flyer on, but it's really pretty slim pickings, as it is at point guard. Isaiah Thomas is out, probably misses the beginning of the season. That makes Ish Smith worthy of a late pick. But then when Thomas comes back, how are they going to run those minutes? I think at some point in the season, we may see Justin Robinson get a bulk of these minutes because he's probably going to be the best of that trio. But none of these guys is super appealing from a fantasy point of view. Josh Lloyd just does such great work. Again, get Josh Lloyd at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. He's been in the top 50 of the iTunes charts for about a month. You can grab that at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. While you're at it, make sure you subscribe to Hollinger and Duncan as well. Our final stop in the Southeast Division is probably the most interesting team in the Southeast. By the way, I didn't tell you, but the uh, on the Wizards uh, back there, they're, they're projected to, to be not very, very good. 28th offensively, 27th defensively, right above Charlotte, New York, and Cleveland. So let's find out about the Atlanta Hawks. They've done an interesting job building this ball club. Brad Roland does a super job on this show, and he's got some of the most exciting young talent in the league to talk about. My name is Brad Roland. I am the host of the Locked On Hawks podcast, and I talk about the team a little bit as far as the 2019-20 season is concerned. Plenty of interesting storylines going into this campaign for Atlanta and what should be a very entertaining product on the floor for the Hawks, but the uh, I think the biggest one of all is the is development of Trey Young. Young made great strides during his rookie season to the point where he was a legitimately impactful offensive player in the second half of the campaign, making a real run at Rookie of the Year honors, finishing second to Luka Doncic, and really putting up big-time numbers um, that uh, turned a lot of heads around the league. The first thing with Young is, is, of course, his passing, which is already elite, but looking ahead to this season, the next step for him offensively will be to improve his efficiency overall. As much as Young is guarded as a as a potentially elite shooter, the ball just hasn't gone through the basket just yet for him in that way, about 32% last year for the full season, so we'll see if that makes the next step for him. But on the other end of the floor, Young's expectations are certainly lower um, for his defense. At the same time, it will be very, very important for this team as a whole to defend, and a lot of that will come down to whether Young can be more passable defensively in his second season. Uh, bridging that gap into the overall sense, though, really the Hawks, I think, have a lot of talent offensively, and that's uh, something that a lot of people will probably agree on. Defensively, though, things might be ugly, and that'll be the reason why this team probably holds back a little bit when it comes to competing this season. Last year, they were a bottom three, bottom five defense the entire season, and uh, with with some help from uh, some other really, really bad defenses that actually probably should have been a little bit worse than that in, in the league pecking order. 
They definitely invested when it comes to defense in the draft this year, investing in two potentially um, strong defensive forwards with Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter. But for this season, rookies often do not make a huge impact defensively, and they're going to have to get better on the defensive end of the floor under Lloyd Pierce in year two for all the uh, goals that they have to actually be accomplished. When it comes to the best case scenario for this team this season, it's really just the next step from their trio of young studs and I think also solid play from their newly acquired veterans. In addition to Trey Young, you have John Collins, who was almost a 2010 guy last year, and you have Kevin Herter, a fellow rookie in, in Trey Young's class that was a little bit more off the radar, but still made all rookie honors last season. If those guys all take sort of linear growth steps in their second and third seasons when it comes to Collins, that'd be huge for this team to um, accomplish their best case scenario and really just build that cohesive dynamic offense that people are looking towards in Atlanta. As far as the newly acquired veterans, you're talking about guys like Jabari Parker, guys like Evan Turner, who are they're sort of buying low on Parker. Turner is sort of an odd fit in some ways, but guys who have quality NBA minutes in their past, and we will see if that could translate to Atlanta. When it comes to the worst-case scenario, there is some downside on this team, and it starts with the defense, to be sure. I think these defense struggling at the bottom five bottom five, or bottom three level, again, this season might um, definitely lower the ceiling for this group. Also, there is the potential for some sophomore slump stuff with Trey Young and Kevin Herter. I think John Collins is probably a little bit more settled in to what he's going to be in the NBA after two full seasons, but not growth is not always linear in the NBA, and it's important to remember that this Hawks team is going to be relying heavily on a bunch of young players. You have a pair of uh, second-year guys in Young and Herter, and then a bunch of of rookies when it comes to DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish and even Bruno Fernando, the team's second round draft pick, all are going to be seeing the court for real minutes this season. And rookies, even guys who um, who project to be pretty strong rookies like DeAndre Hunter, still are rookies and there's a learning curve associated with that. I think stylistically, it's going to be a very interesting team to monitor. Offensively, the Hawks were turning a lot of heads last season with their dynamic play. There's a lot of Trey Young pick and roll, a lot of high pick and roll with Young and Collins. Those two guys get along very, very well on the floor together, and Young's passing will be making highlights all season long. Um, Defensively, though, it's going to be interesting to see how much they can implement because last season, Lloyd Pierce, the head coach, definitely talked about the fact that the Hawks were not able to implement all that they wanted to because of their lack of talent, essentially, uh, on the defensive end of the floor and the fact they were so young. This year, they're probably even younger than they were a year ago, so seeing what they were able to do defensively will be interesting, but offensively, you will certainly see a product that has an ideal shot profile. A lot of threes, a lot of shots at the rim, and in a uh, definitely an analytically friendly team in that way. A lot, not a lot of wasted mid-range challenging shots for this Hawks team. They turn the ball over a ton, which can be maddening to watch in some ways, but when they, when they actually get shots off, the effectiveness of those shots is uh, pretty strong. I do think that uh, there are a few players to keep an eye on this, this season, but I think the most likely guy to be thought of differently nationally when it comes to this Hawks team is Kevin Herter. The uh, second year for the former Maryland shooting guard. I think Herter is basically operating in the shadow of Young and Collins to a certain extent, but last year Herter was uh, quietly quite strong, and I think he has the potential to be a very, very solid starting level player in the NBA with, with some upside beyond that as a potentially dy- dynamic shooter. He's already a high-level three-point shooter, but also has the ability to shoot off the catch, also create for create for others, and even be a solid, passable defensive player with a legitimate six-seven frame. So Herter is the most off the radar of the young studs for the Hawks, but still, but he certainly has some national appeal when he uh, sort of checks through all those boxes and uh, provides that elite shooting that he can bring to the table on the offensive end of the floor. I think this is a big swing season in some ways for John Collins, and honestly, most of that comes on the defensive end of the floor. Last season, Collins is a guy who almost reached the 2010 plateau in terms of scoring and rebounding. He was extremely efficient with a true shooting percentage north of 60%. 
and the rebounding has always been strong, particularly on the offensive glass, where he's more of like a top five, potentially even you know top three offensive rebounder in the entire league with the way that he's been able to follow up on others' misses as well as his own. But defensively, it's been a struggle to this point, and the Hawks have to lean on him for even more defensive impact this season because they are sort of short on playmakers on the end of the floor at this point in time. Collins, for the moment, is a, is a full-time, or at least mostly full-time, power forward. But in the future, he could play some center, and if he's able to play better defense this season, would certainly unlock a lot of doors for this Hawks team to play smaller, to play more switchier lineups, and to see what Collins is able to do as a two-way player. He's already established himself as a quality NBA player with the way that he was able to score and rebound efficiently last year. The numbers are always going to be there, but the next step for a guy like Collins is being able to be a two-way option, and I think that would be a big swing skill when it comes to this Hawks team this season. There are three rookies to keep an eye on with this team. I think there are two more prominent ones in DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish, a pair of lottery picks out of big-time universities in Virginia and Duke. Bruno Fernando is the third of that trio. He was a second-round pick but was uh, often mocked in the first round of drafts, and the Hawks definitely liked him, traded up for him, and we'll see plenty of him this season. But I think with Reddish, he's definitely a swing player for this team long-term. No question about that because he's a top-ten pick that was really struggling at the college level after a big-time high school and AAU kind of campaign before that. So we'll see if Cam Reddish is able to translate as a rookie, but the early signs are strong. And when it comes to DeAndre Hunter, the Hawks kind of went all in to go ahead and trade for him. They gave up a massive haul in a deal with the New Orleans Pelicans before the season to acquire Hunter's rights as a top five pick. And uh, a lot of that was because he's a, he's a perfect fit with what the Hawks need. Atlanta has um, a lot of offensive potential with guys like Young and Collins and Herter, but they need that two-way option on the wing as a big physical forward. And DeAndre Hunter projects to be that um, early and often for this team. They're going to be rely- relying on him in a big way, more than you would think for a rookie. But uh, because he was a veteran college player, there's every reason to believe that Hunter can contribute, and we'll see how he looks as a rookie this season. Uh, when it comes to the overall projection for this uh, squad this season, I am going to lay it on with 34 wins and a 10th place finish in the Eastern Conference. There could be a rough start in the offing for this Hawks team because they are very, very young, as I said before. And also, the schedule for the Hawks is brutal in the first few minutes of the first few months of the season. They have one of the most difficult schedules in the entire NBA, and that will make it very difficult in conjunction with their youth. By the time things run into place, though, in the second half, they could be peaking at their optimal time, maybe run up some wins later on in the season. If the schedule was flipped, it'd be a little bit easier to buy into this Hawks team, but with the losses potentially going to pile up early on in the season, they're going to be climbing out of that hole, and it'll be sort of a tough ask for them to make the playoffs this season, but um, fortunately for Atlanta, this is not a make-or-break season in any, any way, shape, or form for this team. It's still a very young core, and you're looking for growth more so than actually making the playoffs this season, and, and honestly, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if they were added, if they were to add one more lottery-level draft pick to this core, and it looks like they're probably going to be having uh, to do that when it comes to the 2020 NBA draft. But for this year, a lot of entertainment, a lot of competitiveness, and some more growth from this group. But uh, in the end, I'm going to go with 34 wins and a 10th place finish in the East. It should be a very, very fun season in Atlanta, and we can check out all of that on the Lockdown Hawks podcast. They've been doing it for 30 teams, and here's the last time rejecting the screen. We'll give you a headline. It is Noah Kozlov, Adam Stanko, followed by Josh Lloyd with the last of our 30 previews. But we're not done yet. We'll then have David Ramil and John Corrales from our Locked in NBA crew giving you an overall preview of the Southeast Division. But here are Noah and Adam plus Josh for one last final time on our run through 30 NBA teams on this Locked on NBA extravaganza. There are so many directions, Adam, that we could go with the Atlanta Hawks. I really like Lloyd Pierce, like all their young players. But the headline that I'm most fond of is... Because it's Atlanta, Chandler Parsons out 
flu-like symptoms. <laughs> Chandler Parsons is a member of the Hawks. We all know what Atlanta does to guys in the NBA. I have nothing more to say than Chandler Parsons out flu-like symptoms. Oh, that's good. That is really and, good. And, and, and actually, I do have something else to say. Given what Atlanta is known for, he'll be lucky if it's only flu-like symptoms. Yeah, well, that's for sure. That is, that's for sure. I'm going to stick on the court, Noah, which is, which is rare for me. Youth movement makes Hawks surprise team in the East. Obviously, the Hawks showed flashes last year. We saw what Trey Young is capable of. Anybody that didn't believe the hype coming in certainly should believe it now. Kevin Herter, last year's rookie out of Maryland, surprised a lot of people. Didn't surprise me, Noah. I'm a big Kevin Herter fan and have been for a long time. They drafted DeAndre Hunter. They also have a young John Collins, who's an emerging star big in the league. Plus, they drafted Cam Reddish. This team has a ton of young talent with serious upside. Now, do all those guys play defense? That's a question. But I think at least the youth talent movement makes the Hawks' surprise team in the East is a headline we will be seeing at some point in the future. The Atlanta Hawks are stacked with great fantasy options. I think Trey Young is going to be a top 20, probably top 15 player this season. The minutes, he only played 30, 31 minutes a night last year. That should push up significantly down the stretch. His usage was sky high. He's got a massive chance to lead the NBA in assists. His free throw percentage and volume is fantastic. He is a very strong second round player, while his teammate, John Collins, is a third round guy. In just 30 minutes a night last year, Collins averaged 20 and 10, and his defensive numbers were nowhere to be seen. And that is a real anomaly. They will bounce back. Not They're not going to be elite, but they will bounce back. Great percentages from Collins. Wouldn't be surprised if he finishes a top 25 guy this season. At center, they lost to Wayne Dedman. Alex Len and Damian Jones are the two guys there. Len is the better option, but more just a deeper league sort of player. And then we get the small forward spot where we've got DeAndre Hunter likely to be the starter. Anemic defensive numbers in college as a defensive specialist. I'm not sure the usage is going to be there for him to be much more than just a late round flyer type. And I think his ceiling for fantasy this season is relatively limited. The other player I do like is Kevin Herter, who is dealing with a bit of an injury at the moment. But given the lack of players who can distribute the ball, I think Herter's assist numbers will go up. I think his finishing at the rim numbers will go up, which will improve his field goal percentage. And he's a guy that you look at around that pick number 100 who should see a big flourish in his second season. Thank you so much to Noah and Adam and their work. Hope you enjoy rejecting the screen. I mentioned that Sam Mitchell interview, just so fun. And Josh Lloyd with his amazing work. All right, before we're done, let's get you the overall preview. Look at the division from John Corrales. David or Mill, you can grab David every Tuesday on Locked on NBA. John, every Wednesday. We've got it all lined up for you. Locked on NBA is your daily short-form podcast. Rejecting the screen gives you great commentary and a long-form interview. And Hollinger and Duncan once a week for you with their incredible insight. The Locked on podcast network is loaded up let's get that southeast division preview thanks david john corral is here with wes goldberg uh southeast division feel like we can kind of throw two teams out from the start maybe three uh but definitely wizards definitely hornets do you agree oh absolutely agree yeah the wizards (laughs) (laughs) the wizards are throwing themselves out this season so they're already doing it and then the hornets Boy, I mean, between those two, they might be picking one and two in the draft or at least have prime lottery position. I guess the biggest question for, well, the Hornets have no questions. Like, there's, they are just going to be bad. Um, the Wizards, the biggest question, obviously, everybody's talking about the, the Bradley Beal, uh, p- potential for a, a trade. Um, but let's assume that he stays. Do you see Bradley Beal right. making an all NBA team this year? Mm. 
All NBA is tough because a lot of times, as we've seen, record plays a part of that. And the Wizards are not going to win 40 games. They might not win 30 games. Hell, they might not win 20 games. So <laughs> I think that Bradley Beal is going to have a really hard time making the All NBA team. That said, his stats are going to be could be potentially insane, and he ought to make the All Star game. I don't think that's a sure, question. Sure. All NBA is going to be tough. Yeah, I agree. It's it, that's that's always going to be the record's always going to be a problem. So Wizards uh, down at the bottom, Hornets down at the bottom. Hawks better than those two teams? Marginally, right? Only because you feel like of those of those three, that group, the Hawks have the best chance to end the season strong because they're young, because they are presumably building towards something where the Wizards and the Hornets, like who knows? But the <laughs> Hawks, the like the Hawks ought to get better as the season goes on. So I would think that they finish over them. I, I've seen some buzz that, hey, maybe the Hawks are pretty good. I don't think they're pretty good. I think they're still just bad, but they're young with the potential to be good some other season. I think they're young, but fun to watch. I think that's yes. going to be fun. Uh, I wouldn't fault anybody for putting the Hawks on their league pass list. Uh, that's going to be fun. I don't know. Are there any postseason awards off of this Hawks team? Does Trey Young find his way somewhere onto a, a postseason award list? That's going to be, I mean, that would take, that would be quite a leap, right? Sure. But I mean, that would be pretty incredible. Um, but look, I mean, you got a guy like John Collins who is playing in an interesting position, right? Because he is presumably the five now playing with a couple of versatile forwards um, who are flanking him. And this Trey Young, John Collins thing could be really productive, if nothing else. And I think John, so if you're looking for somebody who could end up maybe making a leap, at least statistically, I think John Collins would be my bet. I, I'm. I think if anybody's making a postseason thing, I'm looking at you know, obviously one of the rookies, maybe making a um, the the all rookie team. I'm higher okay. on Cam Reddish than most. I know he's kind of struggled in his past couple of preseason games shooting, so we'll see. Uh, well, NBA NBA players love him. Evidently, they, they think he's going to have a better career than Zion Williamson. So you're you're, right, you're on the right train there. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll see how that goes. So really, it boils down to a battle between the Miami Heat and the Orlando Magic. I'm going to say the Miami Heat end up with a better record. Uh, Orlando is such an interesting team. Uh, they're certainly one of the biggest teams in the league, and that's going to make them a very interesting defensive team. And and they had success last year, and we'll see what kind of leap Vooch makes. But obviously, you know Miami with uh, Jimmy Butler, and I'm really curious to see what kind of jump Bam, Bam Adebayo makes and, and how that all plays out. And do they make a midseason trade to, to really boost their chances? Uh, but I think if I'm ranking this division, I'm putting Miami 1 and Orlando 2. I 100% agree with that, and not only because I used to host Locked On Heat, but because, um, look, if you look at the Heat's roster, it's got, you look at the individual players, they really only have anywhere, they, they have nowhere to go but up, right? I mean, Deion Waiters, James Johnson, key contributors for that team were injured last season. You presume that they'll get better. Likewise, for Goran Dragic, you get a guy like Bam Adebayo, whose ceiling is so much higher than Hassan Whiteside's. He's only got anywhere, he, you know, he's, he's only going to get better. And then, of course, you add Jimmy Butler to the mix, giving them an alpha, sort of head of the snake of that offense that they have been lacking basically since Chris Bosh went down with those blood clots. They haven't had anybody to play offense through. And it's it's put, you know, it's cut out some pretty tough work for Eric Spolster in the last few years. 
where you look at the Orlando Magic and yeah, they're young, they're long, they're kind of funky. There's kind of, there's some fun stuff going on there, but we really still don't know what to make of Markel Fultz. He looks okay in the preseason. He's had flashes, Um, you know, but Aaron Gordon has been playing out of position. They love Jonathan Isaac. Everything we hear out of Orlando is that they think Jonathan Isaac's ready for a leap, but you look at a guy like Nikola Vucevic, would it surprise anybody if that was the best season of his career? I mean, I think that's probably the expectation, right? So he may, you may see some slippage from him. DJ Augustine is not going to have that sort of season again. It's just not going to happen. So who's running that offense for them? So I think that there's a little bit more uh, risk for the Magic to take a slide back while the Heat, I don't, I don't, like last year was their slide back. So they're only going to get better. And uh, I think they have the best player between the two teams. And so I like the Heat to win the division. Yeah. And if Tyler Hero can like show that he's real, like the, the preseason he's shown that he, it looks like he's real. He looks good. If he, if he can, can continue that throughout the regular season, then that's kind of a wild card that nobody really expected from, uh, Miami. So that could really boost their chances. Uh, I agree. Uh, I mean, it really is up to Vooch. If they can figure out like Gordon's positioning and if Fultz can somehow take a leap, I, I don't see that. Um, and then who knows, like Terrence Ross, if he can just continue, uh, from where he left off last year and take, take a step forward, which is, you know, he, he's in his prime. Maybe he's figured something out, but uh, I still think the Miami Heat have it. So really it looks like Miami, Orlando, Atlanta, way behind those two teams, and then Charlotte and Washington behind them. So that's your yep. Southeast division. Back to you, David. Thanks so much for tuning in to all six of our NBA previews. If you just got the division your team is in or five of the six, whatever it was, thank you so much for tuning in to all of them. We're excited for the NBA season on the Lockdown Podcast Network and appreciate you taking time with us. We've got an amazing NBA lineup for you and look forward to having you tune into our podcast throughout the NBA season. Thanks so much.